When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating each and every week from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. I'm your proud host, Evan Hughes, pleased, as always, to be joined by the founder of Tech Sideline, Will Stewart, and to my right, managing editor, Chris Coleman. Guys, we're in November. Hard to believe we've been doing this podcast now for three months. Yeah, I remember sitting around all summer looking forward to football season being here, and now we're in the last month of football season. It's really sad to me because, um, you know, th- this, this season has been tough. I've been doing a lot of traveling to road games. I've been um, tutoring my son in calculus. He's here at Tech taking business calculus, so he comes in here two or three times a week in the afternoon. So I've been exhausted. But at the same time, um, this, this is what we live for. You know, it's November. And the way the Coastal schedule is breaking out, it already started last weekend. All the contenders for the Coastal title are all playing each other, all cycling through each other. This is exciting stuff. The other, I don't, I don't want to say 10 or 11 months of the year are boring because they're not. At least they're playing football. But, you know, that's, it's, I, I hate the offseason. You know, I've, at least Virginia Tech's competitive in basketball, and that makes it easier to take. But, man, this, this is the best time of year. Like, it's right now when the football team's in the middle of it and basketball's getting ready to start up. And, you know, I, I being 53 years old, I know how quickly time passes. When you get older, it passes faster. So it makes me sad. Like, man, we're already there. We've already played eight games, and we've only got a few left. And yeah, it stinks. And leaves are falling off the trees. And I'm actually in a better mood than I sound right now. <laughs> it's about to get really cold. <laughs> Well, yeah. no, no need to be sad because not only is it game week for Virginia Tech, but it is game week for Virginia Tech men's basketball. And we have not talked about basketball the whole season because there's been so much to talk about with Virginia Tech football. So, Hokie fans, we are going to talk Virginia Tech basketball today. It's going to be the, uh, the mix and the best of the both worlds of football first, and then men's basketball will talk about their upcoming season. They've got their first home game, first game of the year, should say, against Gardner-Webb inside Castle Coliseum on Friday evening. Of course, the Tech Sideline podcast is proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 15,000 people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free, 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031. Or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. We let off the podcast today with Video Kill the Radio Star by The Buggles, a classic song. And we've got another classic song that we'll be leading off with next week. We've got the lyrics right now in Will Stewart's Twitter, at WillStewartTSL, his handle on Twitter. The lyric, I want to know what you're feeling Tell me what's on your mind. <laughs> it's another 80s one-hit wonder. 
but uh, a lot of people might recognize that song just from the lyric. Uh, and there are some interesting notes about that song that we'll get to at the end of the podcast. We'll get to that at the end of the podcast. We've got your text sideline poll question of the week. I think both of you will enjoy that one. We've got plenty of fan questions to get to. And again, on tap today, we'll break down the 28-21 game against Boston College. We'll get ready to do that in just a minute. 31-21. We'll, thank you. Uh, we're getting ready to preview Pittsburgh and a little bit later we'll talk about Virginia Tech men's basketball that's all coming up here on the Tech Sideline podcast today and hopping right into it guys you know Virginia Tech put up a great fight uh, against Boston College this past Saturday at home there are a lot of ways you can dissect this game because it looked like there was a different Virginia Tech team in the first half that was leading when they got to the break and then by the end of the game at the second half so when you look back at this one what stands out to you most to me, it was the improvement on the defensive side of the ball and how tough they were in the trenches, or tougher. Uh, if you know, if you'd told me before the game that AJ Dillon would have 96 rushing yards and average exactly four yards per carry, uh, I would have said, "Okay, okay, Virginia Tech's going to have a chance to win this game," and they did have a and chance did, to win yeah. the game. Um, so, so that to me is that Virginia Tech had more just physical toughness in the trenches than they had in previous weeks. And also, Divine Diablo, what a difference he made moving him down to the whip linebacker spot. Those are really the two things that stood out to me. I think that. Uh, and, and it's not just that uh, the Tech defense put up a good fight and statistically did a pretty good job. It was the energy and the passion they played with one week after spending the game backpedaling against Georgia Tech. And I, I don't, I don't like to get preachy with fans, but if you go back to that Georgia Tech game, and it was such a disaster, that that's when you know, as I, as I did last week on the podcast, you, you cart out the old Frank Beamer quote: "It's never as good as it seems, never as bad as it seems." Um, you knew that the defense was going to get better than that, but I, I still, I thought that overall they played better than I would have expected. You know, I, I loved the. Uh, the, the physicality that Dax Hollyfield, a true freshman, brings to the game, just the energy. And what I wrote in my Monday column was that he's all over the place. You know, some plays he's not in the right place. Other plays he's in the right place and he's making a difference. You know, and he is a um, – I don't want to get gushy about a true freshman, but I think that Dax Hollyfield is, is everything that when Virginia Tech got him, got the commitment and signed him, I think to this point he's been everything that you could have wanted. You know, he clearly loves being here. He loves playing for this football team. I think he's connected with the fans pretty well. And as a straight-up football player, he shows a lot of promise. I'm not disappointed in him in any way. So that was good to see. But I, I think the other thing people will take away is how the, the um, offense is establishing a pattern of, of starting out well and coming to a grinding halt. You know, so those are the two things that people will remember about this game. We'll talk a little bit more about Dax Hollyfield later because Coach Foster and Coach Fuente both had high praise for him this week in their weekly press conferences. But let's go back to the defense because just before the game started on Saturday, they officially ruled out Hewitt and Rivers. So already tech down two defensive players in the game. And then in the first half, they lose Bryce Watts. They lose Xavier Burke. And I remember I'm looking at the media guide and – I'm looking at the backup, and the backup's injured for some positions, right. and I'm like, well, who's the third string? And the fact that Virginia Tech was able to limit them to, I'm going to go ahead and say really 28 points. I know that they got the field goal at the end. For the majority of the game, they held them in the 20s. If you would have told me before the game that they limited them to 31 or 28 points, I would I might have taken Virginia Tech in that game. Yeah, for sure. And Rayshard, yeah, Rayshard Ashby is another guy who missed the game. 
um, and they had to drop to Rico Carney, who really played a really good football game, I thought, as a redshirt freshman at Mike. Uh, and I think if you look at the Tech defense, I mean, Boston College had a 20-yard drive for a touchdown, and then they had a 50-yard drive for a touchdown. So it's not like the defense was put in great situations out there. It's a, BC was only able to drive the length of the field a couple of times and score. The, the rest were on short fields. Well, another player who had such a fantastic game we looked to on the defensive side was Tyree Rogers coming in uh, in the secondary, starting, of course, due to Khalil Ladler being mm-hmm. uh, suspended for the first half due to his ejection penalty in the second half of the Georgia Tech game. And they actually ended up leaving Diablo at the whip yeah. position because of how well he was playing in the secondary. That has to be promising to seeing young guys step up at this point in the season. Yeah, I think so. And if I were them, I would stick with that combination right there. I think Divine Diablo up close to the line of scrimmage against the run is the right matchup. And I think Rodgers did a good job at free safety. You know, he showed some coverage deficiencies earlier in the year but if you look at Virginia Tech's last four opponents you know BC is not a good passing team Pitt is an awful passing team Miami has bad quarterback play UVA's hit or miss with their quarterback play per se but the guy's a good runner and not a good passer so I think you can afford to leave Diablo at whip over the last four games of the season and it won't be as much that much of a liability in coverage um, so I, I think that's the, definitely the direction I'd be heading in if I'm Bud Foster, assuming that Diablo is healthy, and, and that's been that's been an issue for him earlier this year, but he was clearly healthy on Saturday, and hopefully he stays healthy because I think him at the whip spot makes this defense look look a lot different. Uh, just a just a number of thoughts about what what you guys were just going over. I only noticed Rogers in cover Tyree Rogers in coverage once, and that was when uh, Boston College I think threw the touchdown pass to the tight end. You go back and look at that, and it and it you know Tyree I think made a bad play there, but at the same time there was another tight end or another receiver breaking open who was coming right behind that one. So there there really wasn't much he could have done. Um, you know, Kearney, we're told that Rico Kearney doesn't start. Clearly, he's a good run defender. He had 18 tackles. Uh, that's a season high for Virginia Tech. The next highest was, I think, Ashby had 15 in a game. Um, with Kearney with 18, um, Dax had 10, and uh, Diablo, Diablo had 14. 14. That's the first time this season that three Tech defenders have had 10 tackles in a game. And BC ran a fair number of plays, but it wasn't like they ran 90 plays. They ran something like 74. Five to seventy-nine plays. Yeah, it was a normal game. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, we're told the reason Kearney doesn't start is that he's not a, as good in coverage as Ashby. But you got to like the matchup. A guy who defends the run really well. I've, I've, you know, Chris has done a little bit more research on Pitt than I have. But just putting together the roster card and looking at their stats, they're very similar to Boston College. They're a run-heavy team. They don't have a good passing game. I don't see any reason why Bud can't roll out the same or very similar uh, game plan and personnel as he did against Boston College and, and be successful with it. I agree with all that. Um, I started on the game preview today, and the way I described it, I described Boston College as Dr. Evil and Pitt as mini-me. You know, the very, very, very similar, except Boston College is, is better. Um, you know, Pitt's got a power running game, and it's a really good running game, but A.J. Dillon is better. The weakness of both teams is quarterback play, but Anthony Brown is better than Kenny Pickett. That's true. Uh, both teams have a big veteran defense, but Boston College's defense is much better than Pitt's. So they're 
the same type of team, except BC is the better version, and I would probably say much better version. Uh, you know, if you look at Pitt, it's it's kind of clear what they do well and what they don't do well, and quite frankly, they only do one thing well, and that's run the football. Uh, rushing S and P plus is number ten in the country. They're passing S and P plus, 119th uh, on passing downs. They have the number 112 offense in the country, but on standard downs, they have the number 25 offense in the country. So if they if you get them in long yardage situations where you know they're going to throw, you're going to shut them down. Uh, over 70% of their first downs come on first or second down. Uh, their blitz down success rate is number 123. So when you get them in a situation where it's good for the defense to blitz, they're not going to be successful. Uh, and their defense S&P Plus is only number 87. So they can't throw the ball. They have a below average defense. So how are they first place in the Coastal? Well, the First of all, the coast is not with very good. With a loss to North Carolina, with a, with a loss to North Carolina, who's so a dead last in the coast, and their losses to UNC. Yeah, exactly. And so, that's UNC's only win on the year, by the way. Right. Yeah. And the, yeah, you're exactly right. You know, it's funny to me listening to those stats. It almost reminds me a little bit of Georgia Tech, in a sense of they can't throw the football. All they can do is run. Their defense is not that successful. I mean, to me, it sounds like the game plan for Virginia Tech remains the same against Georgia Tech, and that is take the run out, yeah. and good things will happen. Yeah, um, you know, except I would statistically I would agree. They're, they're more Georgia Tech than Boston College, but schematically, Correct. And yes. talent and all that-wise, they're, they're closer Pittsburgh to, is not running the triple option. Exactly. They're closer to Boston College. So what I like about it is the Tech defense, this young defense, they get to practice against a very similar style opponent. They, well, they get to prepare for a very similar style opponent two weeks in a row, and I don't think they've necessarily been able to do that this season. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to this one. I, I, I like the fact that uh, you know playing Boston College last week was kind of like you know playing Pitt. So it's, this is this is going to be something that these young defenders have seen before, um, and I don't think they've had that situation this year where they go into back-to-back games saying, "Yeah, that's real similar to what we played earlier this year" or anything like that. Or Bud Foster can't make an in-game adjustment and say, "Hey, you remember what we did against Duke earlier this year?" or uh, William and Mary this year, we're switching back to that alignment right now uh, because it works against this particular style of team. He could do that this week because he has experience to draw on against a similar team, and these young defenders have experiences to draw on against a similar team. Well, we'll get to Pittsburgh a little bit later. We're going to get their yeah, predictions. Yeah, we launched right into our Pittsburgh preview. Sorry, That's all right. No, <laughs> hey, it's just giving people a little bit of a taste of what we'll be doing in a little bit. I uh, want to go back to the Boston College game in a sense of you look at the first half – Things were going really well for Virginia Tech. They go down 7 nothing, but then they score 14 unanswered points. They have a lead going into halftime. What happened when they got to half? You know, uh, the offense obviously stopped moving the football, and it's as simple as that. Uh, I think their first six drives of the second half, they never gained more than 13 yards on any of those drives. And then they had a turnover at the 20-yard line and gave BC an easy touchdown, and it was as simple as that. Uh, I think uh, it, it was unfortunate that the Tech offense slowed down, and the, you know it's a credit to the BC defense, and you know it's also an issue with the Virginia Tech offense. Uh, I, I, it's and it's I'm sitting there at the end of the second quarter, and up we're up fourteen to seven, and I'm like, man, I'm really happy about what the defense has done, but I, I couldn't still at that point help thinking, man, we're going to lose this game because of those missed opportunities at the end of the end of the first half. You know, this team isn't experience enough to overcome mistakes like that 
is what I thought against a Boston College team that's as, that's as good and as experienced as they are. So and I guess I ended up being right about that. But uh, to me, the biggest issue is not taking advantage is right, right, right before halftime because you're sitting there. It could be twenty-one to seven, or twenty-four to seven, or 20, even twenty-eight to seven if everything had broken absolutely right for Virginia Tech. And you know, at that point, you're up by two, maybe three touchdowns, and BC has to abandon the run. They have to abandon their strength and start using their weakness as their primary form mm-hmm. of moving the football. And that would have put Virginia Tech just in a huge, huge uh, advantage. And quite frankly, it wouldn't have mattered what the offense did in the second half at that point. So to me, it's more about the missed opportunities at the end of the first half. And and if you go back and and you look at this game, and and I'm sorry, I can't regurgitate the exact sequence of of events of everything that happened, but everything snowballed together. Uh, The execution dropped off a little bit for Virginia Tech. Boston College adjusted and, and took away or made more difficult the slants and screens that were working so well in the first half. There were some play calling decisions that I questioned, but not as many as the average fan, including me, was fussing about right after the game. (laughs) There were a couple of coaching decisions that backfired. The decision to go for it on fourth and two at the 50, down seven with 11 minutes left to go. Um, I don't like that decision. The decision you to go for it at some point instead of kicking a field goal, I think that was in the first half. Uh, that's damned if you do, damned if you don't, because I think Tech was facing a 48-yard field goal. Fuente, and Brian Johnson's got the leg. Fuente decided to go for it instead. Later in the second half, he decided to go for the 46-yard field goal, and Johnson missed it. Penalties, key penalties, missed calls by the referees. In, in the stands, I thought there were two really bad missed interference calls, uh, holding calls, actually. Correct. Yep. Um, one of them, in retrospect, after rewatching the game, uh, the second one was only momentary. But the first one where Trey Turner was running down the field and was open, I think it was Trey Turner, and, and the defender, number 55, he was a linebacker. Well, how well did that play work out? You had Virginia Tech wide receiver isolated against a linebacker, number 55. So he grabs the jersey. I thought it was Hazleton, but either way. Yeah, it was probably Hazleton. I'm, I'm, Whatever. For either the Turner way. thing, I'm thinking when he was open and Ryan, Ryan Willis missed him. So the guy's grabbing Hazleton's jersey, and it's one of those deals where 65,000 people in the stands all saw it, but the referee who was right, right there was screened from what was going on. So it was just it was just everything coming together in a bad way, you know, and not many good things happening. So here are a couple of things that I wrote down on either missed opportunities or coaching decisions that came back to haunt down the stretch or or penalties on Virginia Tech. So first of all, you had House Gaines running into the punter to begin the second half. That House was Gaines a, breathing on the punter. Yeah, that that's was, another one. That that, yeah, that was that one was a nice acting job. You know, you know normally I, I I'm like you know what just stay away from the punter. Don't give him a chance to act, but I'm not even sure Gaines really touched the guy all that much. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of silly. Tech had the ball in Boston College territory on a third and two. They tried to reverse. They didn't get it. You had the fourth and two that you mentioned at the 50-yard line. And I think that the bottom line is, like we talk about, with a young team we keep coming back to, those little things add up in the grand scheme of things when it comes to winning or losing a football game. Yeah, and, and young teams, again, they're looking for leadership. And, and leadership is two different things. Leadership is, is vocal and attitude leadership, and leadership is making plays when plays need to be made. You know, and 
an example is, is Ryan Willis missing Trey Turner open down the middle of the field. Well, Willis had hung in there on a play earlier in the first half with a defender bearing down on him untouched. And Willis delivered a strike and got crushed for it. So the second time it happened in the second half, he alligator armed it. You know, he had a guy coming up the middle on him untouched. And, and, and if he'd stepped into that one like he stepped into the first one, that would have been a touchdown, I and, think. And he's know? hurting right now, too. Yeah. yeah. You he, know, it's starting, to, it's starting to add up with him. Here's one of our first fan questions of the day that we have. This one's from the Tech Sideline Board's uh, username, Hokey Touchdown. Uh, he wants to know, why in the world did we go for it on fourth and two from midfield when the defense was playing pretty good? Turns out we still would have lost by three more than likely, but I thought that was the head-scratcher of the game. I agree with that. Um, I can't – you'd have to ask – you know, I'm, I'm not in the post-game press corps, so uh, I didn't get the chance to ask Justin Fuente, what were you thinking? You know, well, what, what was your train of thought there? Because one of the things I wrote in my Monday column is you got to know your team – and this is a young defense that tends to, I don't know if, you, if the phrase wear down is correct, but as the game goes on, they tend to give up more and more. They tend to give up big plays. They tend to start giving way under the running game. So at that point in, in time, if you're Justin Fuente, you're like, uh, here, here's my gamble. I either get it here or I give them the ball at the 50 late in the game with a defense that typically fades late in the game. So I, I, I can't explain it. And it wasn't like BC was winning by two scores. They were only winning by one. I can explain it. Uh, I would have punted it too. Let me uh, – I would have punted it just Preface like, just, just like Will would have. Uh, so – but I can't really blame Fuente for what he did too much after a few days to reflect – I mean, that was, what, 11 minutes left to go in the game? About 11 minutes and, left. And so at that point, Tech had had the ball, what, four or five times and hadn't even picked up a first down, and maybe maybe one first down the whole half. So you're sitting there if you're Fuente and you're like, we can't do anything against this defense because we can't they've, – they've moved their safeties back and we can't block them. We can't block them one-on-one and, our, and we can't run the read option because our quarterback makes iffy decisions in the read option. Will we ever get the ball in scoring position again? Will we ever get the ball close to the 50-yard line again the rest of this game? This might be our last chance to score. And as a corollary to that, he, if he knows that his defense tends to fade, part of what might have been in his mind was, what's the difference between giving them the ball at the 50 and giving them the ball at their 20? Right. They're, they're, they're going to – because, yeah, Tech gave it to them at the 50, but Boston College scored in something like four or five plays. They right. scored easily. Yeah. Now, part of that could be that the young Tech defense finally gave up the ghost mentally. And they may not have done that if Oscar Bradburn had pinned him at the ten. Right. You know, it's it's hard hard to say. You know, now, I think keep this in mind too. It was not Oscar Bradburn's best game punting the football. No, I agree. Yeah. Even though he had a seventy-two yarder, it looks good in the box score. <laughs> it does. If you look at it though, the punt returner definitely helped him out a little bit yeah. though. You can make the argument that he should have. Yeah, he let. That well, and he got a he got an extra chance of that one too, right? Wasn't there a, a, a penalty on the play before, and he got to re-kick it? Eh, good question. Yeah, because uh, I think I was up there yelling something like, "Yeah, good call" or something like. Because it was the call was originally against Tech, I think, and that was and so his, he had to re repunt it. And that was his career long, by the way. You take that punt out of it, that's where I was coming from. And actually, Pat McAfee, the great punter of the uh, Indianapolis Colts, actually tweeted at Virginia Tech football with the hashtag for the brand. He'll do play-by-play of great punts on his Twitter account. And then literally <laughs> 20 minutes later, this kid from some other school had like an 88-yard punt 
It was crazy. I was like, well, that's insane. There that goes of uh, trying to get him to do play by play of Bradburn, which would have been hilarious. Um, Let's take some time and and really dive into the quarterback play of Virginia Tech because I think that the growing um, sense from the fan base from the minute he was signed is the hype around Quincy Patterson. And the more that this season progresses, the more fans are. You know, kind of wondering when's number four going to get into the game. And I want to, I, I honestly, because I don't think we've done this yet, I really want to just lay it all out there and talk Quincy Patterson. Because for me, and starting with Ryan Willis, 281 yards, three touchdowns against Boston College. He comes back in after getting the win knocked out of him, delivers that great back shoulder fade to the end zone. And I, to me, I feel like Virginia Tech is not giving Ryan Willis enough credit for what he has done in the last three games. Am I wrong to say that? Uh, I think in some ways you're right, and in some ways you're wrong. I, I think uh, he's a good physical talent. There's no question about that. And he's a pretty tough kid. He can take a hit and everything like that. I also think he's not good at the read option. He doesn't necessarily make the right decisions there. Um it's also amazing that basically as soon as he became Virginia Tech's starting quarterback, all of a sudden Virginia Tech can't score in the third quarter anymore. That was never an issue two years ago with Gerard Evans. It was not an issue really last year with Jackson. The, the, their offense in the third quarter was no different than it was. Yeah, so let me jump in here and say that on my Twitter feed, I, I put up Virginia Tech's scoring by quarter ever since Justin Fuente got here. In 2016, they outscored their opposition in every quarter by a fairly significant margin. In 2017, they did it again by a fairly significant margin because the defense was really good last year. This year, they're outscoring the opposition in the first and second quarters and getting outscored in the third and fourth quarters. Yeah, so. Yeah, so and I wonder if that's something to do with, with Willis, the fact that they're really struggling after the defense makes adjustments. You know, maybe uh, maybe Brad Cornelson is making adjustments and, and Ryan Willis can't translate them to the field, or maybe Cornelson doesn't knows that Willis can't make the adjustments, so he keeps things simple and it's limiting him as a play caller. I don't know, but I, I think we're seeing some of the signs of why Willis was not Virginia Tech's starter in the first place. So I, I like his physical talent, but I'll be honest, I don't think he's that good of a quarterback at this point. Hmm. Um, I think the ideal scenario for Virginia Tech is to combine, somehow genetically combine Ryan Willis and Josh Jackson together and to me that's Quincy Patterson and and I want to go back to this too because I'm not going to lie I was excited to see Quincy get into the game and you saw the fans and keep in mind he got in because Willis got knocked out Mm -hmm. and essentially Hooker did not go in because he was not prepared when he fumbled the snap at the end of the first half so it was not that Willis was getting benched and I think a lot of fans want to say that and that was not the case whatsoever he came in he picked up a couple of first downs with his feet I got really excited when I almost saw him do the uh, Tebow-esque jump pass. You remember he took the snap and kind of run up, ran up towards the offensive line and That's the one there. That's a pretty good decision not to throw it, by the way. He did, and, and he stiff-armed a defensive end and picked up about eight <laughs> yards. I mean, this was the first time I've gotten to see him yeah. play because I didn't see him play against North Carolina. In person, he is just a big dude. I mean, seriously, like my eyes lit up when I saw him. But I think at the end of the day, too, we have to keep in mind is that Virginia Tech knows what he means to this program moving forward, and they're not going to rush him into the starting lineup. They're not, and they shouldn't. Now, as a fan, I want to see him as Tech's quarterback, and I want it to be next year. Uh, there's no way I'd pull the red shirt off of him this this season. But I, I think with Virginia Tech's blocking struggles up front, you need a quarterback that's proficient at running the read option to have a chance to run the football. 
And I don't, to this point, that's not going to be Ryan Willis. I think he's a better athlete than Josh Jackson, but I don't think he makes as good of decisions on the read option as Jackson does. And, and one of the big problems with Willis is that he, he loses his accuracy when he's on the move. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you saw that. I can't, I can't remember the exact situation, but he got flushed from the pocket on, on a third down. I think he had Trey Turner open on the sideline, and he made a really bad throw because he was on the move. So these are the things that are starting to really show up on film now. Um, and you can see the tech coaching staff. Uh, Chris And Chris and I sat around the office and talked about this this week that um, provided Quincy Patterson develops in all the other aspects of the game, if, if he develops some touch on his passes, he learns how to read defenses, um, we're of the opinion that Virginia Tech is a program that needs a read, a read option quarterback to have a successful offense. Josh Jackson does that part of the game well. He's not really great at throwing it downfield. You know, he doesn't have the sheer arm strength or physical size that Quincy's got. Ryan Willis is kind of the opposite. He's got decent size, good arm strength, but he's not good at the read option part of the game. So projecting down the road, Quincy looks like, a com- like Chris said, a combination of those two guys. Except probably better. Yeah. yeah. Well, and here's the thing. There have been rumors, and I re- do you remember last year when Bleacher Report put out this lengthy article about him, yeah. Quincy Patterson, and I believe that they said that he can throw, I'm not kidding you, like 70 to 80 yards on a pass. Like, that was in their profile, and I haven't seen yeah. it, so I don't want to well, confirm you know, that. that. That's not too surprising. I remember Virginia Tech had a quarterback back in the late 90s, early 2000s, Jason Davis, mm-hmm. who went to the Tim Couch quarter – no, he went to the Kentucky quarterback camp, and uh, he, like, tied Tim Couch's record for longest pass thrown at the Kentucky camp, and it was, like, 76 yards or something like that. The guy never played it down for Virginia Tech. He's a Tech, terrible he quarterback. Was, he was an awful quarterback, but he could <laughs> throw it a long way. But, yes, your point stands. Quincy has a lot of physical talent, and I think uh, he has physical talent in the running game. He's got physical talent in the passing game, and I think he's a really, really smart guy. And I think the sooner he's ready, the better for Virginia Tech. Uh, I don't think it should be this year because I don't think they should burn his red shirt or anything like that. But I think he would immediately make Virginia Tech better in the running game. And, and I think that would help the offense as a whole. The big question here is how much of the offense can he learn and how quickly? And let's say, you know, John, And does it matter going does into it, the next does it, does it matter, right, and how much of it matters. Like, for example, we know Josh Jackson – is going to have 100% of the offense, right? Uh, but we also know Quincy Patterson is the most physically gifted quarterback in the program. So it, what if he only has 75% of the playbook down at the start of next season? Um, is his 75% of the playbook with more physical talent better than Josh Jackson's 100% of the playbook with less physical talent? That's what the coaching staff has to decide. Uh, and if he's only got 75% of the offense, do you want to just suck it up and take your lumps on that part of, part of the game and in, in building him for the following years right. and getting four playing years out of him instead of three? Or, you know, I, I personally would love, again, assuming he develops, I'd love to see Quincy Patterson as a redshirt senior. Yeah. Well, do you think that Quincy Patterson, and I, and I right now, do you think that he is the kind of person – who could elevate Virginia Tech's football program into another level. Yes. Um, yes. Is he that kind of kid, that kind of recruit, that could really make Virginia Tech a top 10, top 20 team again? Yeah, let, let, me, let me figure out how I want to phrase this. Because um, I don't want to put too much pressure on a kid necessarily, but I do understand that he is one of the – biggest recruits at the quarterback position you yeah. could argue since Tyrod Taylor am I wrong uh, absolutely right if, if this program under Justin Fuente takes 
a step in the next four or five years. It will be because Quincy Patterson is that guy and not just another quarterback. Virginia Tech is a program that in most years should compete for the Coastal Championship and should be a team in the, the, that's ranked nationally anywhere from 15 to 25. People hate to hear me say that. Oh, I want to make the playoffs. Okay, that's a whole other discussion. We could do an entire <laughs> podcast about that. But my, my baseline goal slash expectation is compete for the Coastal Championship and be ranked somewhere between 15 and 25, which is typically winning, what, nine or ten games a year, yeah, yeah, sure. you know, depending upon your preseason ranking. If this program is able to crack the top ten and become sexy nationally again, et cetera, et cetera, it's going to be because of Quincy Patterson. And because they have experience around him. It's going to be because they have a really good quarterback with a lot of experienced players around him. And a decent defense. Right. At least a decent defense. So I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I think that listeners would be entertained by this topic point. We don't have to go too long on it. But this offseason, to me, and you guys can answer this way better than I can, would this be – arguably the biggest quarterback competition in the history of the program, at least since Frank Beamer. Can you recall another time? I'm sure Glennon and Tyrod well, has got to be Well, Brian Randall and Marcus Vick was, was – man, the back and forth there was huge also. Yeah, that was, that was pretty interesting towards the end of that 2013 se- – or 2003 season when, you know, Randall was a starter and they kept playing Vick, even though Vick honestly wasn't any good. He was good. terrible. He was awful. He completed like 50% of his passes, two touchdowns, five interceptions, and they kept playing him. It cost him at least <laughs> one game. Probably maybe two. It might have cost them the BC and Pitt game, Pitt games. But uh, at any rate, but yeah, that that was that would have been an interesting competition that spring until uh, you know Marcus got got himself uh, suspended from school, uh, and then Randall became ACC Player of the Year, and the rest is history. Uh, you know, we didn't really know too much about the Al Clark Jim Druckenmiller competition in 1995 because the program just wasn't covered heavily yeah. back then, and the internet wasn't didn't really exist very much and uh, so, so to me i i think it's going to be really interesting because you've got a returning starter in jackson who's very experienced who knows 100 percent of the playbook and is proficient enough at the read option where I, I think he could be a help the virginia tech running game if he's healthy and you got willis who's got the big time arm doesn't quite can't quite run the read option as well but is a good athlete uh He's certainly a capable player. If the light bulb goes on for him, I think he can be really, really good. It just hasn't gone on for him yet. And then you got Patterson, who's young and, and quite frankly, has way more potential than either one of those guys and who I think is, is a really smart dude. And I think he already has the respect of the locker room if you look and see how he got treated on the sideline in the North Carolina game when half the team went up to him on the bench after he made his collegiate debut. So, yeah, it's it's to me it's a really interesting uh, – conversation and competition but uh I, I never get in the habit of rooting for one player over another uh, i want the best player to win but who is the best player that that's what has to be determined like i said earlier is it quincy patterson with his 75 percent of the playbook maybe or josh jackson with his 100 percent of the playbook or ryan willis with his 85 to 90 percent of the playbook that's what you really have to determine um and i I hope, you know, Virginia Tech gets the best out of all three of those guys next spring. But I, I would think I think it's in the best interest of the program for Quincy to win that job as soon as possible. I would agree with that. And I will add, in addition to all the other stuff that's been said, um, Justin Fuente's not a complete idiot. And he would have to be a complete idiot 
at the end of next spring to announce Quisney Patterson as his starter? Because then suddenly, what are Ryan Willis and Josh Jackson going to do? <laughs> You're um, right. And, and Hooker. And, yeah, we and keep Hooker. forgetting about Hannon Hooker yeah. in this equation here. Yeah. Um, you, you might go into the spring with four quarterbacks and come out of the spring with one quarterback. Right. Which would be a daggone disaster. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. Uh, if Fuente might make his mind up next spring, but I think he'd be wise to keep it to himself. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's absolutely accurate. Um, and plus, you know, I think a guy like Quincy, when, when you look forward, and you've brought this up in the office, you know, Virginia Tech's playing Penn State, what, second game in of the 2020, season? 2020, yeah. In 2020. If Quincy's not the starter next year, but then is the starter in 2020, that's his basically his first game. And I just feel much better about it. I and mean, that's a big game. I really want to beat Penn State. And I feel better about it with Quincy Patterson as a redshirt sophomore with a year as a starter under his belt. Well, and you look at next year's schedule, and I'm not trying to say that you know, it's a weaker schedule, so to speak. But you look at the home games next year, Virginia Tech might not play a ranked team in Lane Stadium next year, given their <laughs> ACC <laughs> schedule. Well, and, never say never. Right, ex- I mean, exactly. You might get a team that sneaks in there. You never know, like, a, you know, the top well, 20 through 25 range. You, but you, you never thought Pitt, or not Pitt, Boston College and Syracuse would be in the top 25 at this point of this season either. So you never really know. But, but. it seems like, to me, next year would be the ideal year to get him in, given the schedule, I agree. I and I'd, I'd do it personally if if he's anywhere close. Uh, all right, you know, and Fuente's done it. His second year at Memphis, um, he benched his returning starter, senior Jacob Karam, for oh goodness, who Paxton was a, Lynch. Paxton, Paxton Lynch, Lynch, who was a redshirt freshman. Paxton didn't have a good year. He threw nine touchdowns and ten interceptions, and uh, but he was a redshirt freshman and talented and. Obviously, look what he did the next couple of years. He elevated the program. Quincy would not come out and throw nine touchdowns and 11 or 10 interceptions in his first season, in my opinion, because he's got better receivers around him and everything like that. He, so, he would be a better player as a retro freshman than Lynch was. By the way, we keep we keep that stat keeps coming up in our discussions that, that Lynch had more uh, interceptions and touchdowns the first year he played. That fascinates me. I, I, I do not see Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson – ever structuring an offense and play calling where the quarterback will have more interceptions and touchdowns. I think – It must be that Memphis was just really bad. Oh, well, you remember yes. when he took over the program, what did he say? He had like six scholarship offensive linemen? Something ridiculous. So, so, they so, were the so, doormat. And that's not a problem you can fix in a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's always so much you can scheme and play call around. Exactly. You just got to let your guy try to yeah. make plays. Yeah. Well, definitely an interesting conversation on Quincy Patterson. I think one that we will definitely continue to have over the next – year and a half or so before. Oh, it's going to be so good for message board traffic for the uh, next couple I, of years. I'm telling you what, the spring game next year is going to be really mm, intriguing to watch because you're going to have four quarterbacks that are going to want to take reps <laughs> and get time. And so, Yeah, I remember the first spring game I came to was 1999. I heard so much about hype about Vic, and I got, so I got my parents to bring me up to the spring game. And, of course, he goes like 2 of 11. And the biggest play involved all day was him and Ronyel Whitaker getting personal fouls on each other on the sideline. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, man, Dave Meyer should be our starting quarterback. I don't know, I don't know about this Vic guy. Maybe he'll be good as like a junior in a couple of years. If, and he didn't but, get to his junior yeah. year. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, again, the TSL podcast proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm each and every week. Their number is 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031. All right, we ran a little bit over on that topic, so we previewed Pitt for the most part in yeah, we did. a little bit earlier. So Go ahead and give me your picks. Tech is playing at Heinz Field, 3.30 kick. They need to win to keep their coastal hopes alive. Do the Hokies get it done against the Panthers? Uh, I'm actually – this is very surprising because it's Pitt, 
and they got a big, powerful rushing game, and it's Heinz Field. But I'm picking Virginia Tech in this game um, because, like I said, it's mini Boston College. It's Boston College, but not as good. And I think Virginia Tech, they ended up matching up well with Boston College. They did a good job. Um, if, if they show that type of effort and De- Divine Diablo was healthy, I think they can get a similar defensive performance this week. And if they can man- if they can get a similar defensive performance and not screw it up on offense at the end of the first half, then they can win. I- I'll- I'm picking right now 27-24 Virginia Tech. Uh, I've-, I've changed my score prediction a little bit in between uh, – uh, previews and podcasts before this year, but I, I, I haven't changed like which team I've, I've picked. I don't believe, but I've changed my score picks. So I don't, I'm not dead set on that score yet, but I'm going to pick Virginia Tech this week. And also because I think the Coastal Division, it's been kind of a crapshoot this year. It's just like a coin flip with every game, it seems like. You don't know exactly what's going to happen. And I just look at Virginia Tech and, you know, they lost three of their last four games and, and they're probably due to win that coin flip to a certain extent at this point. And as as a corollary, Pittsburgh's just not good enough to go to five and one in the conference. I don't think they are either. Without that. getting bogged down in the details, can you picture that team being uh, five and one in the conference? No, I can't. They should right. be six and zero oh right now. <laughs> You're uh, right. Yeah, I can't right. believe they lost North Carolina. I, can't I mean, they did either. So uh, I'm I'm kind of angling with Chris on this. I think I'm going to pick the Hokies to win and go back to 2016 when uh, um, Tech was tossing it ar- around the yard. And Bucky Hodges and Cam Phillips and Isaiah Ford all had over 100 yards receiving, won a lot of 50-50 balls. And Pitt bullheadedly refused to change their defense. Um, Boston College did not bullheadedly refuse to change their defense the other day. Um, So one of the things I think we need to hope for and keep an eye on is that Pitt is going to play defense a certain way and stick with it and say, you know, beat us if you can, which is what they did in 2016 and Tech did. it's a difficult pick because uh, in putting together, again, in putting together the roster card, I get a certain insight into teams. And one of the things I, I really like about Pitt is the way they've built out their roster. They have 19 seniors on their roster, and only one of them is a true senior. The other 18 redshirted. That's pretty amazing. And oh, by the way, the one true senior is pretty darn good. It's Darren Hall, their running back. Um, as a sidebar, I think the Pittsburgh that you saw against Virginia is the Pittsburgh we want to see Saturday. They had something like 321 yards of offense. 229 of that came from Darren Hall. Uh, he did break off a 75-yard run, but he had a bunch of other rushing yards in addition to that. That was on something like 19 carries. If they want to put in that kind of offense and performance, and Virginia Tech does a better job stopping the run than Virginia did, I think that shapes up well. And uh, one more comment about the Pitt roster. I told you about the seniors. They have listed on their roster 30 true freshmen, and only one of them plays on a regular basis, as far as I can tell. I didn't open up all 30 profiles and drill into their stats, but uh, they, they do have one guy <laughs> whose his name I love. It's a wide receiver named uh, Shaki Jacques-Louis. I think his first name is Shireem or Jacques-Louis Shaki- to the end zone. Shaki- Touchdown. Jacques-Louis. I just want to say that. It's a great name. But so they're, they're, they're loaded up with 30 freshmen. I'm sure a lot of them are walk-ons, and they don't play them, true freshmen. They don't play them at all except for one guy. And that's where you want to be as a program. You want to, you want to have 19 seniors, including 18 red shirts, and you want your true freshmen to just be sitting there watching and, and working out and learning. So. so I'm having a tough time with this game picking-wise because I think Virginia Tech, like you said, 
I mean, playing Boston College last week really helps, and I think it's a great thing for this team. However, Pittsburgh, people keep forgetting, they want to beat Virginia Tech. They feel like they should have beaten them in 16 with the talented roster and James Conner that they had. Virginia Tech got away with theft, to quote John Laser in the North Carolina game, last year at home against Pittsburgh. I mean, first and goal on the one. You can't tell me that Pat Narduzzi and that coaching staff doesn't have a sour taste in their mouth over the last two oh, years no doubt, no doubt. against Virginia Tech, and they want that win. Yeah. Um, so... I'm, I'm going to pick the Hokies. I am in this game. I'm going to go 31-28. I think the Hokies get over the 30-point threshold for the first time in, gosh, before the North Carolina game. Yeah, the Duke game. The Duke game. Yeah. But I, I think that this is going to be a, a, just a, a battle. I don't think it's going to be the prettiest game in the world. I think it could be one of those ugly <laughs> turnover most, games. But I think Tech finds a way to get it done on the yeah, road. I mo- do. Most Tech pit games aren't pretty. Yeah, Correct. There are many things. And they're pretty. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great rivalry. Ever since Pitt started beating Tech, really, if you want to go back to the 2000 game, that's when it started. Uh, you could even argue the 99 game. You know, a lot of people don't talk about that 1999 Virginia Tech-Pitt game. Tech went up to Pittsburgh with Michael Vick. And if you look at the score, I don't remember the score off top 30 of to head. 17. Yeah, so Tech won it fairly handily, and Tech had an outrageous number of sacks, like 10 or 11. Well, Pitt's quarterback threw for over 400 yards, and every time Tech scored, Pitt came back at him. So it kind of started then, and then in the next year, Tech needed to drive at the end of the game behind uh, Dave Meyer to win it, kick a field goal and win it. And then Pitt won three in a row from 01 to 03, and that, that's when this rivalry really got cranked up, and, and it's been a good one ever since then. So that 1999 game, I'm sorry, this is going to interrupt. There's a funny story from after that game. So Virginia Tech's defensive backs coach, was a guy named Whammy Ward and David Priestley of Pitt threw for what four or five hundred? It yards was over four hundred yeah. yards, like four hundred twenty-nine so, or something. And you know, like Tech that. won the game, but you know they're back on the plane after the game and to go back to, to fly back to I guess Roanoke. And uh, how many miles is it from Roanoke to to Pittsburgh? Probably? It's, it's a short trip. You're probably talking it through uh, three hundred miles. It's three hundred fifty miles from Radford to okay. Pittsburgh, so it's probably three hundred miles from Roanoke. To Pittsburgh. Okay, okay, yeah, three hundred, three hundred fifty. Yeah, okay. So let's say it's three hundred miles. So they're on the plane. <laughs> Whammy asked the stewardess, "How many miles is it back to back to?" Roanoke, and she goes three hundred miles, and one of the other assistants says, "Damn, Whammy, that's how many miles Pittsburgh threw on you tonight." <laughs> <laughs> Read that in Frank Beamer's book. That is B- a bonus points for remember it was David Priestley. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, you've got quite the uh, memory. Me- uh, I, memory. I remember yeah. certain things. Oh, I remember Rod Rutherford, and, yeah. and yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember lots of those pit quarterbacks. But uh, Priestley is a name that had escaped me. So all three of us going with Virginia Tech. We'll have to see how that. Uh, we'll, we'll all of us supremely confident. You can tell. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Exactly. All right. So let's move on. Um, I know we haven't gotten to the fan questions yet. We're running a little over, but I I have to make sure we talk Virginia Tech basketball because this is the start of the season. You can make the argument that this year Virginia Tech fans before the season started could be more excited about basketball season than football season given the roster and given the accomplishments of basketball in the last two years. Virginia Tech has made back-to-back NCAA tournaments for the first time since Del Curry was here in the 80s. They're ranked 15th in the preseason poll. That's ahead of Syracuse. That's ahead of a lot of ACC schools. Fifth in the ACC. On a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you for Hokie Hoops this year compared to other years? I would have said... You know, an eight or a nine before Chris Clark, but that that kind of puts a damper in things. You know, you go into the season and you're like, man, that guy, 
is going to play a power forward for us. Uh, he's going to be the most athletic player on the court for either team. He's going to be a great rebounder, particularly on the offensive glass. And now you're missing all of that. And, and, and you're missing him in transition. Right, missing him in transition. And, and his his vision in the half court offense. Yeah, is excellent half court. Yeah, pass. also one of the better rebounders on the team. Yeah, you know. So there's so many ways in which he affects this team. And plus, when you consider what's happened to the football program in the offseason, with so many guys getting kicked off the team, getting in trouble and things like that, you combine this in there, and it's just not fun to be a Tech fan right now, uh, at least as far as the two major sports go, um, because of some of the stuff that's going on. Now, that being said... Now, I'm looking forward to wrestling. <laughs> yeah, he's looking forward to wrestling season. But uh, that being said, I, you know, I'm still maybe like a seven or something like that. It's, I think this can be a very good team. I, I think... I don't think your average fan has a grasp on how good Justin Robinson is in retrospect compared to last past Virginia Tech players. Now, he's not going to be – he's probably not going to have his jersey retired like Del Curry or Bimbo Coles or Ace Custis, but he's the first player since, I guess, Delaney to be a preseason All-ACC player. Um, he's on all these watch lists for the nation's top player, nation's top point guard. Uh, he's, he's the highest decorated player in the preseason, at least, that Virginia Tech has had in a long, long time. And he's a really good player, and he's a really likable player. Um, I, and, I, and Virginia Tech is in an era where, in my opinion, they have the best coach they've had uh, in my lifetime, at least. I don't go back to the 80s. Um, you know, when they were success, really successful in basketball back then. But he's the best coach I've personally seen at Virginia Tech. And this would be the first time Virginia Tech goes to the NCAA tournament three times in a row if they make it this year. So we're in an era, we're in uncharted waters, so to speak, here. So I'm looking forward to it and, and looking forward to seeing if they can make that third NCAA tournament in a row. I, I think even without Clark, they still should because they're so experienced. But they, they can't afford another injury or something, particularly like P.J. Horn or Kerry Blackshear or Robinson because uh, – that would really derail things. Yeah, my enthusiasm is always tempered by by the fact that one injury could could really derail the season. You've already lost a key player. You're down to ten scholarship players, I think. Uh, is it? Uh, I think is it ten? I think that's what you wrote yesterday. That they're, they're, they're down to ten. I thought it was nine since they were without Clark. Yeah. I thought they were at ten before. I think what you wrote yesterday was there's 10 scholarship players, <laughs> nine of whom you're very comfortable, comfortable okay, that, with playing. Okay, that's, that, yeah. that, that's probably it. Uh, so, you know, Clark is a big loss, and you can't lose a Blackshear or a Robinson, you know. So there's always that that, that, that excitement tinged with worry. But, but I, I love basketball season because the games just come at you a couple of games a week, sometimes three games in a week, you know. And, and for me, it – it keeps me going uh, through uh, through January and February, you know, and into March. Uh, you know, and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I hate the way things go dark after the NCAA tournament now, you know, as, as far as covering Virginia Tech athletics. <laughs> but that's just kind of the way it is. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I don't, I really, don't really know how else to put it. I'm, I'm, what I'd like for ju- to see from Justin Robinson this year is, um, uh, and I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here, um, I would like to see him when he drives to the basket. Uh, no, I'm not going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. Let's just say it. I'd like to see him when he drives to the basket finish more. I don't want to see him drive to the basket less. Fans fuss sometimes because they think he's going in there when he really doesn't have a, have a lane to the basket or, or whatever. Um, I don't want him to stop doing that. I do want him to finish more of them, and I think that, that maybe he'll make that jump from his junior to his senior year. Um, 
And I think he probably did a, a better job of that later last year. But I just remember early in the year, um, I, I love seeing him be aggressive, but I don't think he was as successful with it as often as I'd like to see. That could, you know, that could be a big key to the season is when he goes, is he going to finish 60% of those drives or 80 or 90%? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll as, as the guy who covers basketball for TSL, who physically goes to the games and covers them post-game, I'll be honest with you, I feel closer to the basketball program because I have access to those players in post-game. And they're all good interviews. They're all really nice guys. So, so from that standpoint, I feel closer to the basketball program than I do the football program. Now, that being said, man, I think I'm going to assign more games to Corey Van Dyke this year and go to more games as fans yeah. myself because you know, I, just, I grew up a big tech basketball fan. And, and, you know, I've covered it for the last four or five years now. I was a member of the media. And, you know, the, this, this could be the – that team that's our first ever team that goes for three years in a row and we got a lot of good players I think and so I kind of like to experience a little more from the fan perspective this year too. So at the post-game interviews uh, do they still do them where the media is dispersed into that room and you get get to kind of walk around? It used to be like that and unfortunately they've changed it and they take them into the back gym the same gym where all the high techs are pre-game and post-game. So there's, you know, there can be some noise back there. And they put a couple of guys at one table and another guy at another table, and, and that's it. And yeah. it's not as good as it used to be. So it's not super laid back. It's not super laid back. But it, but it used to be, even up until up until this past year, it was super laid back, where you're in the players' lounge. Um, yeah. They were it, sitting around on couches, basically. Yeah, right? they were sitting around on couches a lot of times, and you're, and you're interviewing them, and it's just a laid back, good atmosphere, and you get good interviews, and everybody's comfortable. Um, now it's, it's just you put them in a chair and cameras in their faces, and it's just a little more. Uh, yeah. It's not quite as good, but it, it's still good because uh, there, there's you don't have there's not quite as many media dep- covering tech basketball depending on the game. Um, but you know it's, it's still a pretty good experience. So trying to find something good out of something bad. Obviously, the absence of Chris Clark will be felt with this team, and you can make the argument besides Justin Robinson, he might have been the most valuable piece in every statistic for Virginia Tech. Yeah. I think Kerry Blackshear, honestly, might be maybe the most valuable player on this team just because of his size, yeah. um, and, and that would be a big loss if Tech were to lose him. But I think one player that everyone is kind of sleeping on a little bit is Nikhil Alexander-Walker. You could say that he had the same excitement level coming into a program that Quincy Patterson does for Virginia Tech in a sense that Virginia Tech hasn't had a five-star recruit in a long time in men's basketball. And he started off his first two games last year like he was shot out of a cannon. I mean, he was dropping 26-27. Then he kind of got subdued in ACC play. Right now, he's a projected first-round pick in the NBA draft. I think he has the potential to maybe be the leading scorer on this year's Virginia Tech basketball team. He has all of the tools to be successful. And I think people, and again, all the credit rightfully so going to the senior and Justin Robinson, I think Nikhil Alexander-Walker is going to put together a very strong sophomore season. And I said this about him last year. What really impressed me about him last year was, he. you're right, he started off great. He appeared to hit that freshman wall in late February, excuse me, late January, early February, and then he pushed through it. Mm-hmm. He took a lot of key shots. He made a big shot against Virginia. He made others I'm probably forgetting. So... He's not a guy that, that you're sitting here saying, oh, I hope, he, I hope he improves after the way he slumped at the end of last year. He didn't slump at the end of last year. He, he, I thought he took a step up. Yeah, he's a pretty smart dude if you ever spend any time around him. Uh, he's also, I think he's got a maturity level that is more advanced than 
most guys his age. Uh, now, I think he is also a year older than most guys his age, if you look at his player bio and his birthday and everything like that. So that could have something to do with it. But, yeah, I mean, I think he's got plenty of potential. Uh, he's just got to make sure he develops consistency, and that was his issue last year. Uh, you know, he, he would score, you know, 20 points in some games, and then I remember the Kentucky game when he's playing in that big arena, for a uh, huge arena for the first time against his cousin who played for Kentucky, and he didn't score. And had a bunch of bad turnovers, and and Buzz benched it because he's it was five five on four with him out there. Yeah. So he's got to have fewer of those of those moments. I agree that the potential is certainly there. Um, apparently, they had trouble getting him the ball in scoring opportunity situations against Liberty this past weekend. The way Bud was Buzz was talking on Tech Talk Live on Monday. Mm. So that's an ongoing process for them. Um, but yeah, I mean he's all the talents there. I mean Virginia Tech's going to have plenty of scores. Anybody they put on the sco- on the floor can sc- almost can score in double figures on any given night. I mean, even P.J. Horn last year had a few big games. He had a yeah. big game against Iowa in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. I think there were a couple of uh, ACC games where he came up big with, with du- double figures. I think games. it was Louisville, the game that we lost. He actually had a pretty good game because yeah, yeah. Blackshear got into foul trouble. Right. Um, and I will say this, too. I think everyone's forgetting about the impact that Ty Outlaw will have on this team coming back. You'll remember two years ago, I think he led the team in three-pointers in ACC play, and he was just <laughs> on fire down the stretch in 2016-17. So him coming back, I mean, that's an added element of scoring that they're going to get right off the bat. I like talking to Ty Outlaw because he's one of the rare players who understands who he is and doesn't try to do more than what he is and also understands what he needs to improve on. He told us his number one goal for this season is not to be considered a liability on defense. He didn't say anything about three-point shooting, about making this many three-pointers or shooting this percentage. He's like, I don't want to be considered a liability on defense anymore. So since May, he's dropped over 20 pounds. It looks like a brand-new man. Hopefully it uh, helps him move move his feet some. But he also said he understands that his main purpose on on offense is to create space by being a deep threat. I mean, out to 23, 24 feet away from the basket, he can, he can shoot the ball. And uh, that opens up space for guys like Justin Robinson and until recently Chris Clark, Guy, guys who can drive to the basket and do a lot when they have a lot of space. So I think Outlaw knows his role on this team, and he also understands where he needs to get better. So I think he's a pretty refreshing guy. Well, there's a lot of hype surrounding this team, and, and, and you guys keep talking about getting to that third NCAA tournament, but at the same time, I think this program really wants to take the next step. Yeah. And that is not just getting the tournament, but winning. I mean, I, you know, I've seen a lot of preseason projections of a Sweet 16. John Rothstein of CBS Sports actually has tech of a top 10 sleeper team to make the Final Four. <laughs> Which I'm not saying I agree with. Rothstein likes to be overly optimistic about, on Twitter about well, Virginia Tech. Yeah, well, you know, Buzz is one of those guys who doesn't who doesn't like the local media, but he'll talk to the national media a lot to get his program exposure, and as a result, they'll talk very good Hype about him. him. I mean, yeah. the fact yeah. that I mean, I mean, but regardless of that, I mean, there is a lot of excitement. Could you see Virginia Tech getting to the second weekend of an NCAA tournament, making a Sweet Sixteen? Uh, Do they have that potential? If you have hung around me long enough, you know that I consider all that except for the elite teams. I consider all that to be a crapshoot. It's all about the matchups. You know, I mean, is that what the, what was that dude for Alabama, Chris? Colin Sexton. Another no, other freshman. Yeah, the other guy who jacked up all the three-pointers, yeah. John something. Yeah. You know, is that guy going to decide to make a whole bunch of them? Well, we'll find out because we're probably playing Alabama or, or, again the third game of the season. Or miss a whole bunch like he did the game before, you know. And is, is somebody going to get hurt or suspended? Uh 
Who you are know. you playing? Where, where, where do you get Who drawn? Who are you playing? Where are you playing? What's your seed? We That's don't even all know. such a crap We shoot. don't even know how the selection committee is going to use the new in, the criteria for the new, because the RPI is done. We're not I'm, using the RPI I'm pretty anymore. sure they'll screw Virginia Tech however yeah, they right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> well, they'll figure out a way, right? But, yeah, there, there are too many unknowns going into the season. I think anybody seeded between 1 and 10, maybe even 1 and 11, I don't know. You even see some 12 seeds. Yeah, Any of those teams can go far in the tournament depending on the matchup yeah. and how they're seeded and, and, and who everything gets hot like that. And, who does well, and I'm sure for Virginia Tech so, it's yeah. going to be you don't want to face a big, lengthy team that can match up size-wise. Well, it depends That's on a, if they're slow or not. <laughs> you know, or, uh, or if they decide to shoot cold that night. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I mean, yes, ideally I don't want to face Florida State in the second round. But at the same time, uh, Virginia Tech. There was a, a couple of years ago. Virginia Tech hammered Florida State. Yeah. So it's it's not. I know they have they've struggled against them the last couple of years. But yes, I do think the the team has the potential to make a run in the NCAA tournament. But like everybody else, it's going to come down to match. All right. So I've got a couple of questions for you guys, and I'm going to write this down on Virginia Tech basketball. Kind of similar to your preseason football article that you guys put out. A couple of questions here, but that I came up with. Okay. So number one, does Virginia Tech make the NCAA tournament? Yes or no? Yes. I think so, yes. Uh, Chris, uh, I, I think you've done the analysis on the schedule. Isn't this a much better schedule for, well, in RPI terms, sure. But. Yeah, uh, who knows? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think they'll get the required number of wins, no doubt. And, and I, I think the new system, I don't think it's going to hurt tech at times like, like the RPI did, in my opinion. And that that's with me without – deeply deeply studying it yeah. but but the way i see it is buzz williams is an ncaa tournament coach uh, and he just takes his teams to the ncaa tournament almost no matter what he did it five of the six years at marquette so he, don't overthink it right he did That's it the last two years at virginia tech and, and and really his first two years of virginia tech they had they had no business going to the ncaa tournament so let's see so he's had all right six years at marquette and he's had two years at virginia tech where he had a legit chance to go to the ncaa tournament and he's done it seven out of those eight years okay so, i think that's a good point so yeah i mean i, I think if, if you play the percentages yes virginia tech's going to the ncaa tournament okay here's one if you take a look at virginia tech's out of conference schedule it's actually pretty weak in my opinion there are a couple of early season tournaments like the ability to maybe play alabama there's a matchup with washington who's ranked in the top 25 you take out two or three of those games does Virginia Tech finish the out-of-conference part of their schedule undefeated, yes or no? No. Um, they're probably going to have to play Alabama, who, who beat them last year. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know anything about Penn State this year. Um, they did win the um, NIT last year. That's Penn right. State. Okay. So, okay, yeah, so, so they're, they're a decent Again, there are, there are a couple of matchups, right. but you right. think with Virginia Tech's 15th ranking, they should yeah, be able to nah. – Rankings nah. are rankings are ridiculous. I remember I, I remember the year Syracuse won the national title with Carmelo Anthony, and they were unranked at the end of January. Yeah. So ignore rankings in basketball. And plus, you're talking about how many games are you talking about? Thirteen games? I think it's sixteen non-conference games. Man, that's a lot of games. That's a lot of games. Yeah, Tech Virginia Tech's not, very few teams are going to win all their yeah. conference games. All right, do they win at least twenty-two games this year? Are we counting the postseason? No, regular season. So, and how many total games do they have? Thirty-two. Thirty-two. Yes. At least 22? No. I think they win maybe 21. Do they beat UVA one of the two times they play this year? They've done it every year, three years in a row. So I will go yes. I'll climb on board with that. Although, you know, well. UVA's really good. Yeah, I'm thinking about with Chris Clark not being around. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. you know. Hmm. 
Do they beat North Carolina at least once this year? They're a top ten team. Uh, Luke May is back. Do they play in Castle? Do they play a home and home? Or They're not beating they them. Play? It's they've beaten them once ever in in the Dean Dome. Um, I don't have the schedule right in front of me, so I don't. We'll hold off on that one. Here's here's the last question I'll give you. Do they get to the Sweet Sixteen? That's the last one we'll get to. Odds are no. Odds are no. So I'm going to go no. But we don't know the matchup. You know, I mean, two years ago, I thought the fact that they had to play Wisconsin in the second round and that Wisconsin was in an eight nine game was ridiculous because I mean Wisconsin, Wisconsin ended, was like a five seed. Yeah, they ended up beating Villanova in the next round. Correct. And, and I think they went to the Final Four, didn't they? The Elite Eight. They Elite lost they, to Florida okay. at, the, okay. at the buzzer. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, sometimes it's just out of your control. All right. So we've got our predictions. I'm going to keep this sheet here. We'll, we're going to look at this throughout the year and and, and see that sheet will be old and yellowed by the time we know the answers. <laughs> We will, we will keep a close look at it. Last thing I want to do before uh, we get ready to sign off, get to your uh, poll uh, question. To answer your question, uh, no, they won't beat North Carolina. They only play North Carolina once this year, and that's at UNC on a big Monday. Are they home and home with Duke? Ooh, they were home and home with Duke last year. So, so probably, probably not. Probably not. Oh, uh, so yeah, they're, they, they do play Duke this year, and it's home on Tuesday, February the 26th. One of the last games so of the regular season. So that's interesting. They only play Carolina and Duke once each. Mm-hmm. Which now the reason I did not bring up Duke, and this is how I want to close the podcast. Actually, I know it's not. So I I get home last night. My buddies are all glued to the TV, ready to watch Duke, and I've heard all the hype about Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett and the top three recruits all going to Duke. And I'm like, yeah, this is the same song and dance we hear every year about Kentucky. And I, I sat down and watched the first half, first two minutes, and I was glued to the TV. Duke nearly beat Kentucky by thirty points last yeah. night. What they have 118? 100 Zion Williamson is 6 foot 7. I think he's 275. What? Right now he would be the second heaviest player in the NBA besides Boban Marjanovic of the Clippers who's 7 foot 5. That dude can shoot. He can I mean, I'm telling you, I know I normally don't cheer for Duke, but this year I will be watching every Duke game because they are that entertaining well, to watch. All right, see, I don't disagree at all that they're entertaining. The fact that he's playing for Duke instead of in the NBA makes me less likely to watch. This is not college basketball. I mean, in but, our, it's, I, it's, it's not fair to the rest of the players in the country to have to play against players like that. So he blocks a shot last night. As he blocks it, he corrals it in like a like a paddle. He doesn't even hit the ground. He blocks it, brings it in, dribbles to half court, passes through two guys with spin to R.J. Barrett, who flushes it from midcourt. I mean... I mean, I'm telling you, I am, I am, ex- I, no offense to Virginia Tech, I know they beat Duke last year, that is going to be such a fun matchup well, in Castle, just because, I don't know about fun, well, if you're a basketball fan. I do love to see Kentucky lose, I'm sorry I missed Oh, that. sure, yeah. I went to bed early last night, like 9.15. You know, I, you know, Zion, it came out on the FBI report, apparently, that uh, Kansas was, uh, made a big payment offer for, mm. for Zion, apparently, right? But he ended up at Duke. I'm not, so, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not saying anything. Anyways, I, I mean just, they are yeah. they're uh, the 17th overall player in the freshman class is Tyus Young's Tyus is that his name Tyus uh, the former I point forget, guard uh, with the Jaleel Okafor uh, dead Tyus. Um, anyways, his younger brother is. I mean, anyways, Duke is going to be uh, very I, hard to beat I, this I year. Don't, in the ACC. I, I loved ACC basketball when I was when I was a kid because everybody would stay for three years, and I loved watching guys like Randolph Childress play, yeah. and, and and then Duke and UNC, and even Georgia Tech was good back then. Honestly, their rosters like Duke's roster turns over every year these days. I, I don't remember any of the players from last year because I don't watch the NBA. Okay, right. So, 
So you're not reminded. Ma- I'm not reminded Marvin of Bagley and okay, yeah. Uh, now that you bring him up, I remember. I but I've already forgotten him. There, and that's really that takes away the charm of college basketball for me. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter, and and thinking I'd rather have Wendell Carter. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it, I think they they were just there were games where Bagley was out, if I remember correctly, and Duke was actually better. Right. You know, so they're, yeah, they were better defensively. Interesting stuff. Anyways, that's how I wanted to close it. Anyways, I was just I had to put that out there about Duke this show. I, I'm not normally glued to the TV. I, I'm really no. sorry I missed that because I was like, eh, whatever. Blue bloods flailing away at each other. I don't care. I'll just go to bed. I, again, so I'm trying. I, my buddies and I were thinking last night, who's going to guard Zion Williamson for? T- is that Blackshear going up six foot seven? You mean who's not going to guard him? <laughs> <laughs> well, last year Devin Wilson was guarding Marvin Bagley, so. Who knows? Anyway, the year before it was Malik Mueller would have been probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that'll wrap up Virginia Tech basketball conversation for today. Again, they open up Gardner Webb on Friday in Castle Coliseum, seven o'clock, and then women's basketball home Saturday against Georgia Southern at two, and then football three thirty against Pittsburgh. And it'll be a busy weekend for Virginia Tech Athletics. And we're going to have it all ready for you right here on TechSideline.com, which leads us to how I always close it before we get to the Twitter bio. What's on TSL this week? Oh, we've got a lot of recruiting updates today. Um, probably going to have an article about the offensive line by Eric Carr tomorrow. Typical Friday Q&A uh, later in the week. And also, of course, the Pittsburgh game preview coming up. Looking forward to that in-depth preview. Let's get back to the uh, Twitter bio with the lyrics for this week. I want to know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. It always cracks me up because I have the song in my head, and then to hear uh, Evan read the lyric, it's like, no, that's not the Totally off tune, off beat. Yeah. So that's from the 1998 song by Information Society. You said 98 or 88? 88, sorry, did I say 98? 98. 1988 song by Information Society, What's on Your Mind. Um, rocks. I love that song. It's one of my favorite 80s songs. And the trivia about that song is, you know, it's a one-hit wonder for them. Uh, the trivia about that song is it opens with a voice saying, well, it works so far, but we're not out yet. And then the music starts. And then twice in the song, you hear a voice say, pure energy. And the opening quote is a, is a uh, sampled sound of uh, Dr. McCoy from a Star Trek episode saying, well, it worked so far, but we're not out yet. The pure energy quote that appears later on in the song is uh, Mr. Spock from the original Star Trek series. So they have sampled audio from a couple of uh, Star Trek characters, both of whom are no longer with us, unfortunately. I, I think the only one left is, is William Shatner. But, uh, so, that's, uh, so pull that song up, Information Society, What's on Your Mind, and, and listen for that. Those are Star Trek characters talking. Now, did they pay for the rights to that? I don't know. <laughs> you know but, um, so that's the interesting stuff about that song. Fantastic. Love it. I love the fact you keep going with the 80s. All right. So you're encouraging me where Chris rolls his eyes. He's like, ah, I, I'm on. still waiting for the I day. Like I'm some 80s get, music. I, I, just, I just don't know any of the uh, – unless it's like a major hit song from right. the 80s, I don't know it. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. I don't, I don't either. I'm, I'm telling you, the day that I get that song right will be one of the happiest days of my semester. <laughs> so oh, I'll, I'll keep looking for an 80s song that you know. Um, I've been thinking uh, – darn, I already forgot. I, I had one – picked out for next week and i've already forgotten what it was so i've been thinking about one of my favorite 80s songs 
all-time favorites. So I'll, I'll, I'll maybe sample, lift something from that for you. I, I like it. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this week's Tech Sideline Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, at Tech Sideline. Uh, for our founder, Will Stewart, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, I'm your host, Evan Hughes. We'll talk to you next week right here on the next edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Mm-hmm.